Hey there, this is D. Yvonne Vivers, your host for Birth Moms Real Talk, a podcast where you will hear the journeys of birth mothers who have placed children in adoption and also have some emotional and tough conversations, or you may say hot topics about adoption. Listen in. Good day, everyone. My name is D. Yvonne Rivers. I am your host for Birth Moms Real Talk, where we talk with a birth mom about her journey of being a birth mom and placing her child in adoption. And we also cover a topic that we like to call hot topics that a lot of people in the adoption community or around the world really don't talk about. So this is the time to listen in and hear a birth mom talk about her journey. We'll converse and it's a good idea to sort of listen in and find out what it is about we as birth moms. So I'm so happy to have with me today, Lori. Lori, welcome to Birth Moms Real Talk. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Good, happy to have you. We pretty much start out with letting you tell your story and your journey. Maybe in growing up, what kind of lifestyle or home you grew up in and tell us about your experience and when you did uh, give birth to your child. Okay, sure. I had a really pretty typical all-American kind of upbringing. I was raised in Kentucky near Fort Knox with both of my parents and my two younger sisters. I have, I was lucky enough to grow up with full sets of grandparents on both sides, aunts, uncles, cousins, really, I mean, really. All-American family? Ideal all-American family, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And I was a good student. I was an athlete involved in, in activities in my community, just real, real typical kind of, kind of upbringing, no trauma that I can speak of, nothing like that. I had always dreamed of being a pediatrician. Wow. Okay. That was really the only thing that I ever, that I ever said that I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in high school, I took all the science classes and all the math classes and really tried to prepare myself for for that journey and and for that vocation and my dad had wanted to be a doctor also okay and when he was early in medical school when he and my mom got married and then not long after they were married she became pregnant with me and my dad Felt like he couldn't support his family and go to medical school. So he left medical school and went to mortuary school. Wow. That's (laughs) I have to say that was like a complete, what, 180 pivot? Kind of. Yeah. But so he became funeral director and a mortician, but always like really instilled in me how much he had wanted to be a doctor and how excited he was that that was what I wanted to pursue. And he was very encouraging to me in that way. Okay. So in the fall of 1988, I enrolled as a freshman at the University of Kentucky as a pre-med major with every intention of going to to medical school. Mm -hmm. And in middle of October that year, I had had, I had been diagnosed with mono that first semester. And so I would, 
the first semester was really rough for me and I'd been very sick, but determined to stay in school. And in October, I was in a chemistry class sitting in a big lecture hall. And I remember it very clearly. <laughs> Obviously, with, you're deciding, you're describing it so in detail. Okay. Yes. With my feet up on the seat in front of me, wearing my little tree torns, looking so cute. <laughs> and I felt something inside me move. Whoa. Okay. And, and I immediately thought, huh. That's not supposed to happen. And it was just really like in shock, in, in so much shock and denial. And just thought this this can't, that can't be real. That must have been something else. You know, I must have eaten something that didn't agree with me. That that couldn't have been what I think it is. So I kind of pushed that out of my head for a few days. And then uh-huh. finally, a Friday, I decided I should probably stop in at the pregnancy center on campus and just get a pregnancy test, really thinking there's no way I could be pregnant. But of course I was. So stop, Lori. So you're telling me your first inkling of your pregnancy was when you felt your child move? Yes. I was 22 weeks pregnant when I found out that I was pregnant. No clue before, nothing before that? Nope, no, no clue whatsoever. No, I really had no inkling that I could have been pregnant until then. So no loss of your period or any of that? No, my cycles had always been very irregular. So it wasn't unusual for me to go several months without having a period. I didn't gain any weight. I really didn't gain any weight until the week before my daughter was born. So there and, and I had been sick from mono. So if I had had any sort of symptoms like nausea or anything like that, I would have just attributed that to the fact that I was truly sick. Right. So, yeah. So I had no clue at all. Ooh, 22 weeks. The 22 weeks. Okay. And the social worker that I met there, it was, it's funny how, how things work out the way they do, but she was the social worker at the pregnancy center and really connected with me. And I was there the last week that she was going to be employed at Mm -hmm. the pregnancy center. Mm. So she connected with me, offered to help me tell my family, to get me a doctor's appointment, and to help me kind of plan what I was going to do now that that I was pregnant. So first of all, let me, let me just talk about to what was your feelings and your first thought when you got the positive pregnancy test? I was devastated. I was devastated because I knew how disappointed my parents would be in me. I knew how, how upset they would be. I was disappointed in myself. Okay. It was 1980, the end of 1988, and mm-hmm. attitudes were still different. And right. at, at that time, I, I had this feeling like, you know, this can't be happening to me. I'm this, I'm this, I'm that. And I know now none of those things matter. It, right. It's not, this can happen and does happen to anybody and, right. and it happens to young women of all walks of life. And all circumstances. But at the time I was just really, I, I was devastated completely. I felt like I had disappointed myself. I knew I would have dis- disappointed my parents. I wasn't in a relationship with my daughter's father. 
So I didn't have any hope there that he was going to ride in on the, the white right. horse and rescue me. Right. So, and every, everything that I had thought my life would be was gone in my mind was gone. You were, and, you were uh, how old at that time? 18. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I was 18. So, so were, were the word, I heard you say that you're not this, you're not that. What was the things you were saying to yourself? Yeah, well, I was saying you're smart. You're a good kid. You don't get in uh-huh. trouble. You have big dreams. You are supposed to be doing big things in this world. Okay. And now what are you going to do? Go back to what you just said. You don't, you're a good kid. You don't get into trouble. So that mm-hmm. was the first thing. Because what you're just mm-hmm. describing, Lori, as you, Lori, is what society and, and the thing of if you got pregnant without mm-hmm. being married, then you weren't mm-hmm. good and whatever. I, right. That was you, just how it you, was. Yeah. Yeah. You, you were a tramp. You were a troublemaker. And I wasn't any of those things. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yet I was just as pregnant as those girls were. And that was hard. Right. That, that was hard. And how did you deal with my- that? You mentioned the social worker. So was she a support for you? She was. She was a tremendous support for me. I really don't know how I would have gotten through that time in my life without her. She was amazing. And as I said, she was leaving her job there. And as it turned out, I ended up living with her for mm. for a time during my pregnancy, at the end of my pregnancy. And so like when I say she like she truly got me through, she truly got me through. <laughs> Ooh, wow. So she helped you tell your parents? Yes, she helped me tell my parents. And once I had decided that I was going to pursue an adoption plan, okay. I decided okay. that the best route for me would be to talk to my aunt first mm-hmm. because my cousin had a child while she was in high school. Okay. And my aunt and, and my uncle seemed to handle that okay. That was my mom's sister. So I reached out to her and my cousin first, and they mm-hmm. came and talked to me. And my aunt assured me that. She would be with me when I told my mom and that okay. we would work things out and, you know, right. we would, we would get through this. Right. And so I went one weekend to her house. I lived about a hundred miles. My school was about a hundred miles from mm-hmm. where my parents lived. So I went to my aunt's house, stayed there. My aunt called my mom and asked her to come over and telling my mom was one of the hardest God, things I've ever, you've had ever to done do. in your life. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. And I remember her just screaming no. And I think it was just a culmination. That no was just a culmination of just all of the the hurt and the disappointment that she felt in that moment. That all of her dreams for me, she thought were gone. And all of the dreams that she knew I had for myself, she thought were gone. And she was embarrassed. She was ashamed. She didn't know what Mm. their friends were going to say, and it was, it was really hard. And and my mom said something to me that I've carried with me now 32 years. She said to me, if I had known earlier, you would have had an abortion. Ooh, how did that strike you? It was like getting kicked in the gut (laughs) because really Abortion was never something that was really talked about when I was growing up. We weren't 
overtly religious necessarily, but it was certainly something that was never considered an option. We, right. you know, it was never something that. So to hear her say that, it was surprising for you. It was shocking okay. to me. Okay. And it was shocking to me, and 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 I still like it. Still, kind of baffles me that for her in that moment as a mom, it would have been better for her to have her daughter go through the pain of an abortion than it was to face the world knowing that she had a child who was pregnant out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. That was where she was, her world at that time. Yeah. Now you mentioned 32, that was, that's the period of time this passed. So how have you healed or processed or moved forward from that? I think the healing is a process. Mm-hmm. I'm, yes, I, would, it is. I would not <laughs> I would not say that I'm healed. Okay. I would say that I'm healing. Mm-hmm. After my daughter was born and placed, which I have very little memory of those things. In fact, I have no memory of some of it. But after my daughter was born and placed, I finished, I went back to school. Mm-hmm. I set out a semester. But I ended up graduating in four years. I graduated with my peers. My peers finished in May of 1992. I finished in August of 1992. So I worked really hard to finish on time. And I think I worked really hard to finish on time to prove my worthiness. I was going to ask you, was that related? How the hot, the driven, you were driven to make sure you did, to not disappoint any further. Was that it? Exactly. Exactly. I was driven to do whatever I had to do to get back into and stay in my parents' good graces, because I knew that what I had done was devastating for them as well in many, many ways. So I graduated. I did not go to medical school. I ended up changing my major to psychology and Mm -hmm. started working as a social worker in the child protection wow, field okay. after, after I graduated, okay. uh, I got married soon after I graduated. I ended up having two more daughters that okay. I, I parented okay. and I worked really hard to do exactly what people told me to do mm-hmm. when my daughter was born. And that was to pretend that this didn't happen. Move on with my life and pretend that this didn't happen. I'm, you're hearing me breathe very hard because that was what we were told. Oh, yes, you'll get over it. Just right. go. You back have your to, whole life in front of you. Right. Go back to where you were before, and it's okay. <laughs> it wasn't Which okay. Is, it wasn't okay. It's still not okay. It's unfathomable to me that. Anybody could reasonably think that one could just have a child Mm -hmm. and forget that that happened. Have a child, relinquish that child, Mm -hmm. and pretend that that never happened. But because I'm a rule follower and because I'm a people pleaser, I tried very, very hard to do that. And Mm -hmm. to the outside world, I was probably pretty successful at it. That was from the outside, Lori. What was the inside, Lori, saying? What was the The inside? What was the inner child of Lori saying? The inside, Lori, was a mess. 
I never felt worthy. I never felt secure. I always felt ashamed. I felt like I had to hustle for every bit of good that came to me in my life. Not because I, it was hard for me to get those things, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel worthy of having those right. things. Right. And I felt like if anybody knew or ever found out who I really was or what I had really done, <laughs> that everything would just come crashing in on me. So I spent the better part of my adult life trying to pretend that I was the person that everybody thought that I was. Mm. So the pre- the pretense or the pretending, <laughs> what did that really do to your mind in believing, I heard you say, for is working very hard to prove to, prove to others and to yourself that situation and I call it a situation. It's a physical miracle. Childbirth is a miracle. Right. And I say that because, and and, and I know I, I concur with what you're saying. And in 88 for you, it was 73, 1973 for me. And yeah. along with it, it's like the, the thought process. And I have to quite frankly say is a lot of the things that were said and the disappointment that others were that. I was just, I was baffled and it was like, uh, I'm a mother. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, and, I'm a mother. And, and the thing that I, that I say now is yes, I was a mother and I wasn't doing anything different than everybody else was doing. Right. I just got caught doing it. That, you I know what? <laughs> Well, you know, you said it so so succinctly because that's the situation. If you really looked at for is whether what people did and whether other people knew about it, it's the fact that other people knew what you had done. That they, not that it was right. bad, but just other people knew what you had done. Where others were doing right. the same thing. So it's right. like, yeah. But I talk a lot about because I'm I'm very active in in the the birth mom and just the, the whole advocate or whatever. The fact of Having a child out of wedlock, and you can say out of wedlock or not married or whatever, that was the terminology in my day, because it's back in the 73, in the 70s, is if it changed who you were as a person. Right, right. But you're still the good person you were before. I was still the exact same person. Mm -hmm. I was the exact same person I had always been. Mm -hmm. But somehow I wasn't. According to them. And I use the word them or they. According to them. Right. (laughs) According to them. According to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that sense that I needed to prove myself to them, Mm -hmm. it damaged me. Mm -hmm. I think it ultimately ended up damaging my marriage. I, it's the thing that, like, I just wish that women never had to carry that kind of guilt and Mm -hmm. shame around Mm -hmm. for doing what our bodies are meant to do. (laughs) Right, right. Let me ask you this question, and I've asked this before to other moms, and I asked myself the same question. What would you have given to yourself? What did you need at that time, Lori? I just needed grace. I Uh needed some grace. I just needed some grace, and I needed that pressure to be perfect lifted off of me mm-hmm. and just room to be human who sometimes made bad choices. Yes. I, I, I like that would have helped a lot. 
Yes, I concur with you because whether you call it grace, whether you call it people understanding, whether you call it people supporting you through this process, because likewise, I say a person needs that support even more when there's a situation, emotional, physical, or whatever that a person is going through. So be there for me in my ups and my downs as I go through the valleys, as well as I reach the mountaintops. That's what everyone needs, whether it's someone who's having a child or whether it's someone uh, experiencing a medical condition or whatever, because they're all the same. It's trauma. That's the word. Yes. Yes. You're exactly right. Mm -hmm. It's trauma and recognize it as trauma. I say that this platform addresses, of course, for its birth moms, adoptees, adoptive parents. But I talk about also other things that may happen in a family. You talk about fours in military. We're just coming out of a, a war in Afghanistan for 20 years. PTSD is for veterans and right. so forth. What support are they getting? So it's like we're no different of going through the trauma, the grief of someone losing a child, losing a spouse or whatever else, except the difference is we are not given that support. It's that ours is disenfranchised grief. Yes. Yes. Right. yes. Not recognized. And not recognized. No, not, not recognized. recognized. And when it might be recognized, mm-hmm. it's met with, but you made that choice. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. chose that. How can you grieve something that you chose? Right. right. I can grieve it very easily. Mm-hmm. Very Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And that calls for the understanding. When you use the word grace, that's what I think about of people having the grace to understand another person's perspective and not just go about what you would do. Because no one knows what they would do until they're in that situation. And it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. that situation is. Right. Right. And that makes me think of very common response that people will give when they hear that, that I'm a birth mom and they'll say things like, you know, Oh my, that you're so brave. And I, but I could never do that. And I hate that, mm-hmm. but I could never do that. And first of all, I think, I hope that you never have to find out, mm-hmm. but I, I also want to tell people, I think you could do it. If you ever found yourself in the situation where you had to make the ultimate sacrifice to protect your child, I think you could. You can just never imagine yourself being there. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's what I did. That's what you did. That's what we all did. Right. We we made the ultimate sacrifice to take care of our children. And that's what great moms are supposed to Mm do. That's the standard for great moms. Right. And I think, as you say, people get the idea that we place because we did not love. Oh, listen, say, look here and listen up. (laughs) It is because we did love. And we, and I say that from the top of the rooftop or trees, it is because of love that we place, not because we did not love. That is a misnomer that, and and true lie that is going around that I'm personally taking up the movement to change because that needs to be said. I'll be right behind you. Yes. I I love all three of my daughters Mm -hmm. immensely Mm -hmm. and I'm glad that I didn't have to make this kind of sacrifice that I did for my other two. Right. But I loved my oldest daughter enough to say, I'm going to give you what you need 
-hmm. And I'm going to take all the pain associated with that so that you don't have to feel it. Uh I'll take it all for you. Right. And And we take it for our children. At the same time, they go through their own drama, the trauma and grief. And that's something that's not understood also of thinking that because a child is placed in infancy one day, two days, two weeks or whatever, that that it doesn't affect them. It does. It does. Adoption is trauma. Under the best of circumstances, adoption is trauma. Absolutely. And there's trauma for everyone involved. Everyone. There's there's trauma. Everyone. Everyone. Right. I speak about for his nurture versus nature, but we just talked about for the adoptee. They're pre-verbal. They can't talk about, well, what are you doing? What's happening? What's happening? But it's affecting their, their body. I love a book right. and I always promote that. The body keeps the score, you know, and because right. it, it's your, cause your body does feel it. I have, I just speak, this is September and my mother's day is coming soon. And people may not understand, but my mother's day is the birthday of my son. That's my mother's day. And so my body will recognize what is coming, whether it's like, oh, what's the calendar say? What's the calendar say? But your body says that. Your body says Mm -hmm. that. So we talk about the adoptee not not having the decision, the trauma and the grief there. We as birth moms and the adoptive parents, because a lot of times, maybe most situations, because maybe they couldn't conceive themselves. So they have grief. Everybody's got grief. So recognize all of us grieving (laughs) and we're here to help and support each other right and let us grieve allow us to grieve the Mm -hmm. same way you would allow anyone to grieve Mm -hmm. that's That's, it that's the kind and compassionate thing to do right right but we have to recognize that society has to recognize that and the unfortunate part back in my day and your day or whatever and even today that it's not fully recognized no not no, it's not. I still know birth moms whose babies were born two months ago, and it's still a complete secret to their uh-huh. family uh-huh. because they can't share that for fear of what would happen to them. Uh-huh. And it, you know, and I see these women and I think, oh, oh, if you only knew the road that you have in front of you is so hard and to yeah. try to carry a secret on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. When you speak of personally, since I've started the podcast, I have gotten tons of emails from all parts of the triad and even from adoptees. I'm an adoptee. I'm listening. And some birth moms say, I'm listening to the podcast when no one else is around. In other words, right. they can't even listen to the podcast while others are in the house. That's that secrecy that's right. still going on. Yeah. That is still going on. So moving forward, how old is your daughter now? Are you in reunion? Or what's the status of that now? My daughter is 32. I am not in reunion. Of course, my adoption was closed. I didn't know her parents' names. I didn't know her name. About two and a half years ago, I worked with a search angel at Adoption Network Cleveland. Okay. who was able to find my daughter for me. Okay. Uh, it took her about two hours. Hmm. And I was able to see her picture okay. on social media and find out information about her. I got brave one evening and decided to make a phone call thinking that 
she wouldn't answer the phone because nobody answers the phone if they don't recognize the number. <laughs> Typically not, um, no. <laughs> so I had this message rehearsed in my head for the message that I was going to leave on her voicemail. And lo and behold, she did answer the phone. And I could tell that she was in the car and that I was on speaker and I didn't know who was in the car with her. And I tried to be as respectful as I could to say who I was. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I said, my name is Lori and I haven't seen you since January 24th, 1989, mm -hmm. but I've thought about you and I've loved you every single day since then. And I just want you to know that. And wow. that took um, a lot for you to say, didn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. My voice was shaking. My hands were shaking. I felt like I was going to throw up. I felt like I needed to say everything that I could say to her as quickly as I could before she could hang up. Right. Because Let I me didn't get it know in. Let me I get it in. Yes. Chance again. Right. Right. So I started telling her everything that I could think of and the thing, the most important things for her to know. And I wanted her to know how much I love her and how much I've always loved her and how much her birth father loves her and that she has four half sisters who love her and grandparents who love her. And that most important, I wanted her to know how grateful that I am to her family and to her parents mm -hmm. for giving her the opportunity to have the kind of life that I wanted her to have. But most important, I wanted her to know that her life matters, that her very existence has changed the lives of women that she will never know mm. and has impacted people that she will never know in ways that she may never be able to understand. But because of her and because of the decisions that I made out of love for her set me on a path to places that I never expected to go and had given me opportunities to touch other people and, and to have their stories touch me. And that if she didn't exist, none of that would have happened. Wow. And so how and long if were I don't you talking? Ever, you were just talking. Did she interject anything at all? I talked for about five minutes. She interjected very little. She asked how I had gotten her, her information. And she just said, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. And I could tell that she was crying. Right. And I told her that, that I understood how overwhelming this must be for her because mm -hmm. I was overwhelmed by the fact that she had answered the phone and I was the one making the phone call. Right. And I asked her if she would prefer if I email her rather than like call her or text her or anything. And she said, no, I'll just keep your phone number. And I said, you are welcome to call me or text me anytime you want. I will drop everything to talk to you. And I told her that I loved her and that was the end of the conversation. And then she blocked me from social media and I haven't heard from her since. That was how long ago? Two and a half years ago. That hurts. And it's that hurts. Yeah. Yes. Hurts. Yes, it does. Without any words, any actions, 
actions tell the story. I like to say, people say, well, I didn't get a response back. Well, no response is a response. Is a response. Is right. a response. And her word, she said, she's not ready. Well, she's obviously not ready. Mm-hmm. She's not ready. And I respect that. But right. the waiting is, I've said yeah. that for me as a birth mom anyway, I I survived the first 18 years of her life telling myself when she's 18, she'll find me. She'll want to know me when I just have to survive until she's 18. Mm -hmm. If I can walk this walk until she's 18, then I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And then when, when she turns 18 and you don't hear anything, Mm -hmm. then you start these games in your head and you yes. say, well, 18 is so young. It's probably going to be 21. It's probably right. 21 will be it. Right. And then 21 comes and goes. And then you think, well, maybe it's 25. Right. She just right. Needs to be 25. Yeah. He's, they're still immature. And, Let him grow up a little bit more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But it's really hard to keep running the race mm-hmm. when the finish line keeps moving. Mm-hmm. Now, is the finish line moving or really the line is really has been drawn? Different ways you can look at that. Do you think the finish line is moving? So the fact you have not reunion, does that mean that, I mean, what does that mean to you now? How are you processing this? That's my, that's first of all, I'm sorry that it has not been a reunion because that is, that is what we want. Yeah, and I speak from yeah. a personal sense when I think we all, I know I did, like 18, 21. Well, it was 45 oh, years yeah. for me. <laughs> was like, yeah. And, yeah. And it is, I mean, the and, reality sets in. Yeah. And I think the only way that I can continue to get through this and mm-hmm. is to continue to carry hope mm-hmm. that it's not 32, but maybe it's 33. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's 34, mm-hmm. or maybe it's 45. Mm-hmm. Or oh, 46, um, or oh, 47, whatever it right. is. Whatever it right. is. But I think the moment, the moment I put down that hope, I don't know what that day would look like. Well, I think we all will have that hope. I always believed that I would meet my son. I never knew how, when, when, where, and all of that. And then when it happened after 45 years, the stance of building a relationship, which is lifelong and doing it. Right. What has kept me and keeps me every day, and I pray that I'm, I just I have another day to move forward with it, is knowing, and I, and I say this is knowing, without necessarily me knowing, that I truly believe Every one of our children, they experience that birth bond. You can't change that birth bond. They may never be ready to meet us, have a relationship with us, know us or whatever, but you can't change that. And when I, I truly feel that a lot of times adoptees may not ever reunite, you reunite with the mom, but it doesn't mean they don't love us. I truly believe the love is there because just as we just talked about how hard the love itself, we place our children because of love. They are part of us. Right. They're part of us. So that's, I guess, my stance. And it's like impatiently waiting. It's not patiently, but impatiently because we want it. 
And for right. me, oh, it's like being very transparently <laughs> and saying, we want this. We want this. Yes. We may not have it now. We're wishing for it. We're praying for it. We want this. But a part of the lifelong process of healing is being able to go through day by day, month by month, year by year, keeping that hope, Laurie, keeping that hope. Yep. I have to. We, yes. we all have to. Yes. We- Yes, yes, yes. It's not easy. And I, I say birth moms do hard things. Uh, I mean, other people do hard <laughs> things too, but it's hard things. It's hard things. And the things are a lot of things for us and not having our children. I never had other children. So my son is my only child. Son will always be wow. my only child. So that love I've had for him, I truly believe he feels that we're building since we've been in a reunion, right. we're building a relationship. And and I say it on the Facebook, I do a Facebook Live every Saturday. I said last week, reunion is hard. You know, even reunion is, but not meeting your child is hard. Meeting your child right. is hard. It's all I mean, hard. <laughs> it's all hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, and it's, from- I'm grateful for it. Now, I'm happy to go through the hard things. I am. And, but that's, right. Right. I say it's life, but it is our life and, and, and our process that we're going through. And we can do it. We can do it. That's yes. back again and yes. just switching forward. Thank you for sharing the journey. And as well as a question of how have you processed through all of these years and making it through what has helped you for healing? Yeah. Well, interesting the way I, the career that I chose, I, I ended up working in at an adoption agency. Well, I did some work in, in public adoption initially, but about nine years ago, I started working at an adoption agency in Ohio, caring for kids. And I was working with expectant moms, educating them about whether or not adoption was a good option for them. And I realized pretty quickly in that I couldn't do adoption every day without having dealt with my own adoption stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I went to a birth mom retreat that. On Your Feet Foundation mm-hmm. hosted in Michigan City, Indiana. And I went there dreading it. I didn't <laughs> want to go. I didn't want to share my story. I didn't want people to, I didn't want to have to tell my story, but I went. And that weekend literally changed my life. Mm. It changed me personally. It changed me professionally. It changed the trajectory of my career. It changed the way I thought about myself. It changed the way I thought about other birth moms. It Mm -hmm. changed the way I felt about adoption. It changed everything. Mm. And that experience of being able to share my adoption story any way I wanted to share it Mm -hmm. in a room full of other women who would understand Mm. and not having to filter my language and filter my story was liberating. And so I went back and I said to my executive director, I said, this is something that every birth mom should have. We need to do this here. And she said, you're right. So let's do it. Okay. And she gave me the freedom to build from what I knew from On Your Feet Foundation to build our own retreats. And six months later, I held my first birth mom retreat in Ohio with a dear friend of mine and fellow birth mom, Caroline McDermott. And we started down this path. And in November, 
I think I will do my 15th mom retreat. Great, great. (laughs) A lot of healing, a lot of healing you've brought to others, just as what you said to your daughter. Right. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And the healing that the healing that those women have given back to me, mm-hmm. I can't even measure. And mm-hmm. I just feel so blessed to have the opportunity to sit with other birth moms on a regular basis. And mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, anytime I hear an adoption story, my first thought is, oh, will you give that birth mom my number? Right. I want to know her. Can I, can I talk to her? <laughs> Because I want to know all the birth moms because I think we're amazing and yes, yes. we're we're some of the strongest women that that I've ever met. Right. And we do hard things, and <laughs> we do hard things, and we're great women, and and we're the kind of women that I want to know. Right. And right. so from doing retreats, women said, "Oh, this was wonderful. We really want to keep." in touch and we want to stay in in contact. And I said, well, you know what? I don't have anything going on on Friday and I'm going to this little pizza place in Akron. If you guys want to meet up for pizza, Mm -hmm. we can do that. And so five other birth moms came to have pizza with me. Mm -hmm. So now I do pizza meetups for birth moms. Right. And that Um, is so much needed with a birth moms real talk podcast. We are creating a village birth moms real talk village, a close that we'll have zooms, Facebook. We're going to have mom buddies, a book club. So those of you listening out there, join the village. I do global trainings and African proverb or African word is Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U mean I am because we are, we are together. And so we work together with that because that's what's needed because there are times, let's just face it. There are times I call it the roller coaster. And recently my roller coaster has been whipping me from one side to the other, but I'm still holding on. (laughs) I'm not going to turn loose. I'm not going to turn loose, but that's just how it is. So when we prepare us, yes. Yes, yes, yes. We, to be we, with and we desperately need it. Yeah. Because no one else will ever understand this Absolutely. journey except for someone else who's yeah. on it. And yeah. that's yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. When people sometimes say if a tragedy happens when someone comes that I understand where you are. No, you don't. Not unless you've been in my shoes. Right. Not unless you've right. been in my shoes. And that's what all situations with that. Well, this has been wonderful, Lori. Any last thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? Oh, I say audience listeners. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like my calling in this world is to change the culture of adoption in mm-hmm. some way. Mm-hmm. And I like to set the goal for myself that every day, I want to change one person's misconception about one thing about adoption or birth moms. Okay. And so if there's one person in this world who's listening to this Mm -hmm. and has thought about something differently because of something that I've said, or, Mm -hmm. or they've had an aha moment, then my day is successful because then that person might share that with someone else. And once we get enough people sharing that with other people, we really will change the culture of adoption. Absolutely. Absolutely. Each one, teach one. 
Each one, teach one, yes. reach one, spread the message, spread the word. That's why this podcast is going all over the world. I'm so, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those who are downloading, who are listening, you're sharing it and so forth. This is, our, I think, our eighth week. June 26th is when we started. And I'm like, we are close to 2,000 downloads in our Facebook is reaching 6,000, 8,000 every week. I think we've totally have reached over close to 200,000 people. Oh, that's amazing. That's the impact that this will do. And with stories, true stories about journeys of birth moms and talking about these topics because we pull no punches here. We'll bring and talk right. about the things. Some of our previous podcasts, I think last was it last week, the elephant in the room, or I needed someone to hold my. That's reality. This is reality yeah. we're talking here. So you get the real deal here. So thank you so much, Lori. Oh, thank you for having me. It's really been my pleasure. Very good. You've been listening to D. Yvonne Rivers. I'm host of Birth Moms Real Talk, where we talk with a birth mom about her journey, as well as talk about a topic that's a hot topic in the adoption industry. Tune in, share this, follow us on our social media with Birth Moms Real Talk. Join our village. We're going to join together and help each other. So until next time, talk to you then. Thanks so much for listening into Birth Moms Real Talk, where birth mothers share their journeys and we have an open and honest conversation about adoption. If you would like to share your story or you have any comments, you can reach us at birthmomsrealtalk.com or email us at Yvonne at birthmomsrealtalk.com. If you like what you heard, we would appreciate your support on Patreon as a supporter. Find out more on our website. Tune in next time. See you then. 